When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever. Dog. Comic books, comic time. Writers and artists are on the line. They make a splash as a comic's read and take us on a trip behind the spread. Watch out for comic book commentary. Spinning or winning inside, fix how they got a hot idea. Narrative, character, visual tricks, and onomatopoeia. Uh huh. It's comic book commentary. Hi there, my name is Vida Ayala and I write comic books for a living. Uh, this is my second time on comic book commentary, so I will uh, try to knock out a lot of the nonsense that I did last time with the ums and the ahs, but if I continue to do it, please forgive me. Uh, today I am going to be running through Livewire number six. Uh, f- that is a Valiant comic that I have been writing for the past, well, six up. Ep- Issues to you and 12 for me, pretty much. Um, It is the second part of uh, a story arc, so I'm just going to briefly go over uh, a little bit about who Livewire is and what happened in the last story arc and then in the first issue of the story arc. Hopefully it won't take uh, too long so we can jump right into things. Uh, So Livewire, a.k.a. Well, I guess Amanda McKee, a.k.a. Livewire, is a character uh, from Valiant Comics. She is a Psyot, which is their version of superpowered people. um, And her powers are that she is a technomancer. Basically, that means that she is Siri, but a little less evil. She can control technology with her mind. She can interact directly with the internet, which is both a blessing and a curse, I'm sure. Um, And in the Valiant universe, uh, she's also one of their, like, big three, or I guess their big five. Uh, But she was a hero. She ran with all the big hero groups. And then uh, right before the Livewire title starts. She got into beef with the U.S. government because they were uh, hunting and killing Psyots, um, and she did not like that. And so she, in retaliation to try and save uh, a couple of Psyot kids who she'd kind of adopted, uh, turned off the entirety of the United States, which was considered an act of war. And so she went to war with the government. Uh, And then... Uh, at the end of the series, she turns everything back on, but she is on the run. And so when Livewire 1 starts, she uh, she's, she's convinced that she was right in what she did, that she had no other choice. Um, and over the course of the first story arc, comes to kind of realize that even though she didn't start this fight, uh, and she does need to kind of save herself and her her kind, right? Psyots. Um, she inadvertently hurt a lot of people that she did not mean to hurt. Uh, You know, she considers herself a hero. She's been doing that for a long time, fighting for people and helping people uh, on a global scale. And so it was kind of a hard pill to swallow, but she realized that she had a lot to kind of make up for. Uh, And going forward, she would have to 
kind of seek redemption. Not that she thinks she can get it. Um, it's more like she needs to find a way to do what needs to be done and make sure that that never happens again. So that's kind of like the first story arc is her uh, making some hard realizations and kind of realigning herself and resigning herself to living with the fact that she hurt hundreds of thousands of people and was responsible for deaths, the deaths of probably thousands of people and kind of now she has to redeem herself or make she can never make up for that, but she has to move forward and fight for the greater good in a way that makes sure that that doesn't happen again. Uh, and in the first issue of the current story arc, which was live wire number five, uh, live wire discovers that there is a group, the Syed education and safety program, PSAP for short, because Valiant loves acronyms, um, who, is seemingly collecting Sayat children and kind of collaring them and depowering them in order to quote unquote, show them how to be good members of society. And that doesn't sit well with her. Um, and she's also looking for someone, a kid named Phoebe Daniels, whose parents are frantic and don't know where she is. She's a Sayat. She disappeared and she kind of shows up in PSEP and that in her investigations of things, live work kind of, gets hints that these kids are there against their will, maybe. And so she goes to one of their facilities, and it's a wreck. Uh, and that kind of sets off some al alarm bells in her head. But before she can kind of do anything, the place is surrounded by cops, and she realizes she's been set up. She goes to escape, um, and she's not really going to fight the cops. She will defend herself in that she can kind of, like, take technology and use it as a shield when they shoot at her, but she's not attacking them back. Uh, and then these four Sayat kids come out of nowhere and they start to brawl with her. And she realizes that they're from PSEP. And instead of kind of beating them off and escaping, she decides she's going to let them take her in because that is a way easier than trying to figure out where they are because they seem to be off the grid. So at the end of the issue, she lets them kind of, take her and they drag her in front of their leader, Serena Byrne, who looks like Joan Chen because as it should be. Uh, and Serena's like, glad you, you took our invitation. So that's kind of where we, we end things with Livewire kind of quote unquote at the mercy of Serena. Um, so uh, once again, I don't have a physical copy of the book, so I'm going to be scrolling through uh, the issue on my computer. So sorry in advance if it sounds funny. Uh, so I don't have the cover, but there were three beautiful covers for this issue, um, which the main covers were done by uh, Kenneth Rockfort. Uh, and I can't pronounce names, so I probably pronounced Rockefort wrong. Uh, and then there were two variant covers, one done by uh, John Snyder the third and Jason Wright and the other uh oh sorry there were three variant covers one done by uh Juan Doe and the third by Carrie Randolph and Emilio Lopez uh Carrie um Carrie and I have been working together for a long time uh he's real busy on his own thing congratulations Carrie but uh he has blessed us with another cover for Livewire which is awesome uh so 
pay, oh, let me read the credits like I did last time, I guess. Uh, so, hi, I'm the writer, Peter Ayala. The artist is Kano. He's incredible. He does the line work and the colors, um, which absolutely blew me away. He's really something else. Um, our letter has continued from the last story arc, uh, Saida Temofonte. Again, I'm a terrible, terrible person when it comes to reading things. I don't know how I got a gig writing, but here we are. Um, and the editors on this were David Menchel and of course, Heather Antos, who, uh, took over in the last story arc and has been an absolute pleasure to work with. Uh, so page one, we open on a newscaster on Wolf, on the Wolf News Channel, which I did not make up. Uh, that was, I think that was, uh, Kano. So that's pretty great. Um, and he is reporting on what happened in the last issue. Uh, Jacob Gregory Smith. I tried, I think I came up with like 17 names for this guy. I was like, what sounds kind of like waspy enough to be someone who would be on the Wolf News Channel, but also like plain enough where it could be anybody. And so here we are. Um, so Jacob is reporting the evening news, which is the top story is that Amanda McKee, the site also known as Livewire, uh, attacked the police, right? So we saw what actually happened in the last issue, which is they kind of surrounded her and started, they opened fire and she used technology to kind of block that off. Um, but of course, that's not how sensationalist news works. Um, Kano did an incredible job with kind of just the flavor of the news report and, you know, the chevrons and stuff like that. I, It's really eerie how much this looks like Fox News uh, I'm a little freaked out by it. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but anyway, he, uh, Jacob Gregory Smith, continues to report on how terrible Livewire is and that maybe there, you know, maybe are all Syots terrorists, maybe not, because these good PSEP kids seem to be fighting her. Um, and it seems like maybe these people can be useful members of society, basically. Uh, and then the page kind of ends on a really ominous look at Livewire. So most of the reporting stuff, I guess I should back up a second. Um, so the first story arc was very kind of Livewire centric in that it was very much in her perspective. We're in her head a lot more, but also it's about someone having to deal with themselves and what they've done. Um, this arc is much more about the media and how the media interprets kind of what happens and how it shapes how we think about what happens um, and how, you know, some pretty reasonable fears can be blown up and manipulated to mean something completely different. And so in the first or in the first issue of the arc in issue number five, we did some cutaway stuff where we would see reporters on the scene of the attack through their own equipment. So that later on we could do callbacks to that, um, like in this scene here. So all of the kind of views of Livewire from from the fifth issue from janky equipment. <laughs> um, so yeah, that last image we get is, you know, Livewire is kind of drawing all of the technology to her to kind of use as a shield. And so it's one of the cameras <laughs> that was live streaming before she got a hold of it, which is pretty cool. Uh, and Kano did this really cool effect with making things look pixelated and glitchy, which I absolutely adore. So 
Uh, we move on to the second page, and here's where we get to see Phoebe. I th- not for the first time she's in issue number five, but there's a quiet moment where she uh, has come to find a television in a basement somewhere and has hooked it up. So one of the things that PSEP is that there's no access to the outside world. It's really a lot like a cult. In fact, the the main the main villain's the wrong word for Serena, but the main antagonist of the of this story arc, Serena Byrne, is named after two different like cult leaders. <laughs> um, and the idea is that these kids will be brainwashed and indoctrinated into kind of they're vulnerable, and so they can be shaped into whatever Serena wants them to be. And uh, one of the ways that that is done is cutting off all contact with the outside world. So there's no phones, there's no tablets, there is no television, no radio, none of that stuff. But Phoebe has found a television in the basement. It's one of those ones with the click dials. It definitely looks like my TV from when I was a kid. Um, But she's plugged it in. She probably misses television. She is a, you know, she's a kid of the current times um and she's watching the wolf news network probably because the dials are broken so that's the only thing that's on and she'll take anything um but yeah so she's kind of the person who was seeing this report and she's a psyop one of the things that that is noted later but i'll just uh, say it now is that not all the kids in peace up are psyops a lot of them in fact are not because their psyops are they're not everywhere. They're not like mutants and X-Men or metahumans in, in you know, the DC universe. They're, there are very few of them or compared to the rest of the population. Uh, and even fewer activated psyots. Um, basically, in this world, in order to, if you have latent abilities, you have to be activated. So it's, it's Phoebe is one of maybe five six six psyots in PSEP, but there are dozens of children. And what Serena is doing is basically collecting un uh unwanted kids. Street kids, you know, runaways, that kind of stuff, but also just like I'm sure she has connections with places that service underserviced youth as well. So she's basically building herself a little army. Um uh, to what end, we don't know, and maybe army is the wrong word, but she's basically collecting all of these kids to kind of brainwash. Um, or at least that's what it seems like. Uh, so anyway, so there's no tech, and uh, Phoebe has found some tech, so she's watching this. And it, it really bums her out because, you know, here are these people talking about people like her and how they're intrinsically evil, and that makes her feel, you know, really, really awful. Um, what? So yeah, uh, she's watching the TV and then someone shouts behind her and she whips around and it is, uh, Serena Byrne and her right hand tracksuit wearing, (laughs) uh, muscle Jada. So if Serena is the headmistress of this strange cult school and then Jada's the like I guess the gym teacher, but she's the she's the the approachable adult. Uh and Jada's like, you know, better than to kind of be messing with, you know, hateful machines and Phoebe's like, no, I found it. And and to contrast with Jada being like, you know better, Serena's like, you know, it's it's okay. I understand why you would want to do this, but 
you know, it's dangerous and look at all of these hateful things that they're saying, like clearly, you know, this is not something you need in your life. And, and I know you understand that. And then it, it's my job to make sure that you're safe and that, you know, that includes your body and your mind. Um, which she's, she's kind of gaslighting uh, Phoebe a little bit. Ooh, that's my alarm. Uh, but I mean, that's the best way to get someone to do what you want <laughs> is to make it seem reasonable that you would want to kind of isolate them. Um, so, uh, is that page, that's page three. So, uh, rather page two. So page three, uh, Serena continues to talk and kind of talks about how, you know, certain kinds of ideologies can kind of seep in and they're harmful. and you know, people like Livewire are the reason that people hate them uh, as Jada is collecting the television in the background. And, you know, she tells Phoebe, you're here because you you don't want to be like Livewire. You want to be a better person. And Phoebe kind of comes back and is like, I'm here because I, I, I chose to be. Absolutely. Like, I want to show you that I can be a good person, basically. I'm not like those other Syats, so to speak. Um, and Serena, she was sort of like, of course, of course you will. I believe in you. I'm very proud of you. You should go to class. <laughs> uh, and Phoebe runs off happy as a little lamb. And Serena turns to Jada in this kind of like sketchy moment and is like, get, can you put that thing in my office? Like where they can't get to it. And it's like, of course. Uh, and then we flip to a panel of live wire sitting in a containment room, basically. And Serena kind of saying, uh, I'm going to go see to our guest, which we assume that is Livewire. Uh, page five, we're in Serena's office, which I wish was my office. It's beautiful. It's covered in bookshelves and fancy chairs and a globe, which is plugged into something, apparently. I don't know what that's about. Uh, and there's a camera on the desk recording library which i just realized was there i thought it was in the corner of the room but here we are um and serena's sitting at her desk library sitting across from her in a comfy chair and behind serena are two of the other psyots uh, we've seen them already in issue five they're the ones that kind of fought livewire and brought her in uh the ones joining her are will and enola who i think will shoots electricity out of his eyeballs and uh, enola's a telekinetic i think i made up their powers and i've forgotten no that's right um anyway serena is monologuing a little bit uh is that true no livewire is kind of being snarky and it's like you for someone who's supposed to be kind of hospitable you've locked me in a room what's up with that and serena's like oh, i you know i told them to give you a room i didn't tell them that you were a prisoner that was that was a mistake um and and livewire kind of comes back with you sent the strike team for me so that's a little weird that you call it an invitation uh it's basically a back and forth of that kind of feeling um and serena kind of comes back at her and is like I, you know i do what i do for these kids i want to make sure that they're safe um and uh you know you should understand what that's like you said that you you know, went to war with the government to protect Syed. So we're on the same page there. And Amanda's like, uh, it was not, I didn't intentionally put people in danger. That was not what I was trying to do. Um, 
but I absolutely would not let children be hunted and killed. Um, and so Serena's like, yeah, see, we're on the same page. I don't want Syat kids to be hunted and killed either. I'm trying to save them. Uh, and so next page, Serena is giving Livewire a tour of the facility to kind of show her like, look, there's nothing to worry about here. You know, uh, this is our operation. We're just trying to give these kids a safe place to be while they learn how to control their powers, which is something that is important. Uh, and here's where Livewire is like, most of these kids aren't science. Um, and Serena's like, just because they're science doesn't mean that they don't need somewhere safe to go, basically. Um, uh, and Livewire notes that even the non saya kids are wearing dampener collars. These collars kind of stop powers from manifesting. Uh, and she's like, why would you do that then if they're not science? And Serena says that the collars are also symbolic. They're a reminder that we are all working hard to unlock uh, our full potential, that kind of stuff. And that they've all, importantly, she says that all the kids have consented to wear them. They said that they were okay with wearing them. Um, it's also important for me to note, uh, because this isn't something that's said out loud, but uh, Anola and Will, uh, the two other Saya kids, don't actually have collars on. And they are also the only people who wear uh, a uniform. So all the other kids you'll see are in kind of normal kid clothes, but these two and the and the rest of the strike team, the rest of the Sayat strike team, the only Sayats, have these jackets that have the Peace Up logo and this like Peace Up symbol, which is actually a, a power dampener. So they're not collared all the time, but if need be, they there is a control switch for their powers that Serena is in charge of. Um but so yeah, Serena just gives her kind of the spiel um about what they're doing there and look at all the people and takes Livewire around and takes Livewire into like a classroom and all the kids are like, yikes, like it's Livewire. Like, holy crap. And uh Livewire sees Phoebe and Phoebe sees Livewire and they both kind of react to each other. Because Livewire has been looking for Phoebe specifically. Um, that's kind of what put her onto the trail of Peace Up as a group. And then Phoebe has just watched this whole thing on the news about how Livewire is basically the poster child for evil Syats. So Livewire is exactly everything that Phoebe fears she will become. Uh, and so they're both reacting to each other. And and scattered throughout this page too, I'll note, uh, there's a bunch of like cameras and they change from kind of the normal state to a bright red. And and for someone who hasn't read Livewire yet, um Livewire again can kind of access things directly. And usually when she is in her kind of like tech mode where we kind of see through her eyes as she's doing stuff, or you know, she's floating and doing like her tech god thing, it's there's a color code to it. And so we kind of added that in here just to kind of show that Livewire is connecting to all of these cameras. Um, so she can now see through them even as she's walking. And that's something that like is subtle and small and, and then becomes important later. Um, and it, it's not, it's not so subtle that you wouldn't catch it, but I just wanted to note it because another thing that's really important is that Livewire, as she's talking and, and kind of going back and forth with Serena is also hacking 
trying to hack their system and kind of trying to find their weaknesses and connecting to all of their technology and, and kind of big brothering a little bit actually. But she, she can, she's the ultimate multitasker and, and that's something that we don't get to explicitly talk about a lot um, is the fact that she's constantly doing a million things at all times. She hears and feels technology all the time as well. And so we wanted to kind of bring that more to the forefront. And so one of the ways that we thought that we could do that, um, that would work smoothly was with the cameras. They're changing to her color. Um, and then soon, pretty soon later on, uh, you'll see why that is and why, why that matters. Um, so there are cameras all over this issue as well, because it's also a little bit about kind of surveillance and how we have traded our privacy for perceived security and connection to other people. Uh, because this is kind of low key, a cyberpunk comic, even though it takes place during contemporary times, cause we're basically in a cyberpunk dy dystopia right now. Uh, but you know, I'm not saying that I don't like technology. I, I am very much fascinated with technology and allows me to do my job. Uh, but it is just worth noting that like, we pretend that we don't understand that, like, there are cameras everywhere, but they're there. Um, and sometimes good people use them and sometimes bad people use them. Or at least maybe can find ways to access them. Um, no, I'm not one of those people that covers the camera in front of their computer. If the, the, That's not how deep I'm going with this. I'm just saying. Just in general. Um, so, next page... Uh, we have uh, Livewire. Uh, Serena's taken Livewire out of the room. And Livewire has chosen not to kind of lay it all out right there uh, about Phoebe. She's allowing herself to kind of be taken out because she can have eyes on Phoebe at all times because she can hook up to the cameras, but also because she doesn't want to tip her hand yet. So Serena and her are continuing to talk. And Livewire's kind of like, why do you think that I'm going to just take your word on everything you tell me. Um, and Serena's like, because the evidence is right here. I have nothing to hide. Like, look around. Um, and they have that kind of like, <laughs> back and forth. And Serena's like, they found us. Like, it's, we make it really easy in libraries. I, how is that humanly possible? They're kids. And Serena's like, I don't know, man, we have a website and a hotline and like a searchable email and a social, like a Twitter, like we make it easy for kids to find what they need because sometimes adults don't think of these things. Um, and then Serena offers to let her speak with the children. And so Livewire takes this as her, uh, as her shot to not, not kind of tip her hand yet, but to be like, okay, I will talk with the kids. Um, she's like, oh, and she describes Phoebe, basically. She's like, I want to talk to her. Uh, and Serena is very suspicious and is like, uh, okay, I guess you can talk to her later. Um, you know, she's in class right now. And so she then says, you know, Enola and Will will take you to a room without a lock so you can kind of get settled in. And Jada, uh, who just looks like a gym lesbian, which is really what I wanted. I'm not saying that she is a lesbian. She's a total lesbian. But what I'm saying is that she definitely has that vibe and that haircut. Um, so Jada comes jogging in and she's like, nope, I'll take her. Don't worry. I got this. 
Jade is so tall. That's what I wanted. She was actually initially supposed to look like China, the wrestler. Um, but Kano decided that he had another idea in mind. And that's okay, too, because she's really gay looking. And that's what I wanted. Um, so, yeah, Jada offers to take Lavra herself. Uh, and Trina's like, absolutely, I'll send a meal for you. You know, I'll let the children know not to bother you. And uh, Jada and Lavra are sizing each other up. Uh, I didn't write this to be gay between them. That's not my agenda in this particular book. But there are a lot of, like moments of deep, meaningful eye contact in the story arc between Livewire and Jada, which is really just a blessing. It's not, it wasn't my intention at all. This is not a baiting thing at all, but like, I'll take it. It's great. Uh, so Jada's like, I'll make sure that she knows where she's supposed to be. Um, also, I just wanted a quick aside and shout out to Kano for draw- the way that he draws Livewire's hair. Uh, it's great. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. So then Livar and Jada go in one direction and Serena and the kids go in the other. And then Jada seems to try, uh, to lead Livewire to this really sketchy area. And Livewire being exactly who she is, is like, I'm going to go on a limb and say that this isn't my room. And Jada's like, what did she say? Oh, I saw how you put your hands on my students when they came for you. Um, and Livewire responds, you know, I hope, I hope that you know that I would never really hurt them even to defend myself. Um, because that is something that, that is true. I believe, um, Livewire isn't in the business of beating up kids. (laughs) She does kind of judo throw a few of them in the last issue, but, uh, part of the reason that she also lets them take her is that she, she doesn't want to hurt them. And she knows that they can't hurt her, really. They, I mean, they do kind of rough her up a little bit, but only because she lets them. Um, so she's just trying to communicate to Jada, like, I, you know, I, I hope you know I would never really hurt them. And Jada's like, yeah, I ice their bruises myself, so let me show you. Let's see how you do against someone your own size, which Jada is much bigger than Livewire. Uh, so that's great. Uh, next page, Jada's like, first one to tap out, loses, anything goes. Livewire accepts the terms, which is awesome. And what we see is that Phoebe is actually snuck away from class and followed, um, and so is watching. Another really important um, theme in this kind of story arc is self-control. So uh, the first story arc is about accepting that, Livewire accepting that she did for a second lose control and it meant that lots of people got hurt um and this story arc is about testing her limits against against other people who you know these are going to be dangerous situations and she could easily lose control again to keep herself from dying and you know this is testing her resolve from the last story arc basically but it's also about um kind of the different roads that she could have traveled as a person. So Livewire is a character who was raised in a cult-like organization, the Harbinger Foundation, um, by a man named Toyo Harada, who is a scion, one of the most powerful scions, but also a little bit like Tony Stark. <laughs> um, but, you know, he raised her you know, as a, as a warrior, as a fighter, but also like to kind of think of Syots as these kind of noble people and 
hurt people and it is very important that they fight for each other and all this stuff. Um, and this piece of situation is a little bit like that and it's kind of ringing those bells for her. And what I wanted to do was kind of parallel her journey as a character in the characters that we meet here. So Serena isn't really like Toyo is more like what Livewire would have been like if she had kind of, uh, you know, uh, as the heir to Toyo's foundation, basically, if she had ascended and taken over once he was gone. That's what kind of she would have been like. And Jada is where Livewire was when she was Toyo's right hand. Um, I mean, Jada's a little bit more crass, but that's fine. Uh, And then Phoebe is kind of... Livewire as a kid making the decision to join the Harbinger Foundation. Um, was it the right decision? Were there any doubts ever? Because it seems like when we meet Livewire, she's already an adult. And so she doesn't, even when there are doubts about her choices, they're handled in a very adult way. Um, and I wanted to kind of like show what it would be like for little Livewire and maybe why she would make some of the choices that she did. And would she make them again if she could? If she was put in those situations. Um, but anyway, so Phoebe, Phoebe's playing a bunch of roles. All all of the characters in this play multiple roles in that way. Um, but so yeah, we have a setup where Livewire and Jada are about to beat the crap out of each other, and Phoebe's kind of hiding and watching. There's a lot of hiding and watching in the story arc. Uh we get this beautiful, mostly splash page of Jada and Livewire squaring up. Where Jada's like, let's see what you got, old school, because Livewire is in her thirties. <laughs> As an elder millennial in my thirties, uh, I feel really old sometimes. Uh, and then the next page, we get this beautiful kind of sequence of trading blows, and Livewire takes a punch right to the ma- right to the nose. It's great. Um, one of the things I also like about this story arc is that. When someone gets hit, there are consequences. Uh, you know, in the first story arc, there were some, but it was a lot more of an internal journey, and so there wasn't as much blood. I don't think you need lots of blood all the time, but I think that when we are showing violence, it's important to acknowledge that violence leaves a mark. Um, so in the third issue of the series, it's a giant fight scene, and there is like there is blood in that because that I was kind of explicit about that. Like this is real. Um, and in this story arc, there's a, like, Kano just intrinsically got that, like, yeah, the damage has to, like, stay. There doesn't have to be, like, a huge split lip or anything, but, like, there are bruises, and, you know, when you punch someone, uh, there should be blood if you get them square in the nose on their face and on, you know, your fist. Um, and that was something that I, I wrote a little bit into the script, but he really, he makes it, he makes it really kind of important without making it gratuitous, if that makes sense. I think he did a great job, um, clearly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Jada's Jada's kind of a little a little jerk. She's like, yeah, first blood, maybe you're not used to people who can fight back. And Livewire gives a very Ned Stark line in that she says, I like to gauge what the stakes are before I strike, which, shout out to Ned Stark. Um, and then they go back to fighting and Livewire does an amazing matrix move and dodges and then punches Jada square across the face. Um, but as they're fighting, they're also speaking. Uh, so Jada's 
like, yo, the stakes are I'm fighting for these kids. Um, and Livewire is kind of like, what, for them or to keep them? And what I wanted to do in that, in this whole exchange, but especially just in, in those two panels, is to kind of show that, like, Jada actually does believe what she's doing is right. Uh, it's not like this evil, like, mustache twirling plot to her. She's also a Sayat. So there are six Sayats total at PSEP. Five children, one one adult. Um, and for Jada, she's seen what happens when you don't have someone to show you how to be strong. And she doesn't want to leave those kids out there. And that's another thing that is really important as kind of a juxtaposition, or a parallel, rather, with Livewire. Livewire has done the same thing, both in her role in Harbinger and after, when she kind of adopted those Saya kids, she was showing them how to use their power. She was trying to protect them from the world because she knows what it's like. Uh, the difference is that for Livewire, their autonomy is really important. And it is more important that they are their own people to her. Uh, whereas with Jada, Jada's like, I am going to show them exactly what to do. They are going to do this. This is how they will stay safe. And that's it. You know, they don't have a choice. We're going to isolate them. We're going to, you know, basically break them down and then build them back up and to be people that will fall in line and will be safe that way. Um, and I wanted to kind of like this, this comes back again in the final issue of the arc uh, more explicitly, but that's kind of what I wanted to see here is not, you know, Jada isn't just like, ha ha ha, we're evil and we're collecting kids. It's like, no, I'm going to make sure that, you know, I know what it's like to be vulnerable alone and that's not happening. Um, so the next page we have more, more beautiful fights. Um, kind of just blew me away with this sequence. It's so cool. <laughs> um, and uh, Jada's kind of tired of Amanda talking crap and is like, you know, you're the one that's on the most wanted list. These kids are here by choice. We didn't force them to be here. Um, and Livera kind of comes back with like, I, I grew up in a system like this. I know exactly what you were doing to these kids. Um, and the implication there is that is it's not good. <laughs> you are hurting them. Um, but this is said as there's a lot of really dope, uh, back and forth punching action. Uh, next page. This one's going by pretty quick. Uh, Livewire has taken Jada down to the ground. She's like, you're a cult at best. Uh, Jada sweeps the leg on her, uh, and says that, you know, your little beef with the United States government put all sides in danger. You are the reason that we exist, basically. Um, and we're giving the kids, you know, these kids a chance to survive out there, uh, imp implying that, like, Livewire is actively the reason that Syats are being hunted and killed, which is not true, although she is used as an excuse. Um, because, again, her actions were a reaction to the government hunting and killing Syats, uh, and especially her own kids. Um, and so, yeah, Lever gets a boot to the face and then catches the foot um, and kind of does a, it looks like a figure, f I don't know, figure four-ish submission hold. Um, 
And it's like, I know all your lines due to the cause and responsibility to show the world science aren't dangerous, aren't dangerous. You know, it's all good on paper, but you're nothing more than a glorified government sponsored child soldier factory, which enrages Jada, who just, I, it looks like she dislocates her own knee in order to be able to punch Saya, uh, uh, not, not Saya, uh, Livewire right across the face, which is pretty cool. Uh, so they're fighting some more on the next page, and it's like, yield now, and then uh, expletive you, and then Jada smashes Livewire in the nose with her forehead, which is, it does it for me. It looks great. It was a great page. And Jada's kind of like straddling her and is ready to kind of keep going. But Livewire, both of them are covered in blood. Livewire looks to the side and notices that Phoebe is watching this savagery. They're both covered in blood. They've really been going at it. They're not holding back. This is not sparring. Um, and Phoebe is terrified. She's like, oh, like gasp. And Livewire's like, oh, this is not, this is not what I want to show this kid. This is, this is, we're scaring her. <laughs> And so, uh, the next page, Livewire is kind of thinking as Jada's got an arm around her neck. She's like, I have to show Phoebe that I'm not like them. Um, because she wants Phoebe to come with her. She will take Phoebe, but she wants Phoebe to kind of, like, understand that she's safe. Uh, and so, you know, she's like, I have to show her that I, that she is better than this this being this violence and this place and the ideas that they're kind of shoving in her head. And so she yields, she taps out. Uh, and Jada is kind of, again, a jerk and is kind of looming over her as Livewire like wipes her face. And she's like, you're pathetic. You know, you're the person that had the country like terrified. Um, it's like, Oh, do you still think you can walk? Uh, and then, Jada turns and sees Phoebe and it's like, you should be getting ready. And Phoebe's like, uh, yeah, sorry. And Jada kind of walks by her expecting Livewire to follow. And Phoebe's, you know, biting her lip very like she's in doubt and she's not okay. And like, she's wanted very much to prove that she belongs here and that she's better than what the outside world thinks about Syots and that she can be good. And this has thrown a lot of what she has believed that this organization is into doubt. Uh, so the next page is a new scene. It is, uh, Phoebe's kind of graduation to the next level ceremony. Only four people have done it before. It's the Syots specifically. Um, so it is the ceremony in which she is, you know, she's proven that she can be trusted. And so they will take off her collar. Basically her powers, uh, will be her own to control and to learn how to use. And so as this is going on, we see there's a camera in the room and then it goes, the little light goes from green to red. So that means that, again, uh, Livewire is connected to it, which is, this is the first time we see it conclusively happening um, because we see now, you know, we flip to one of the rooms and Livewire is kind of cleaning her face in the sink and reflected in the mirror is what is happening in that room from that camera angle. Um, and we see Livewire's eyes reflected in it's that bright red color as well. And so this is us going, yep, she, she has eyes on everything. Um, but also, and this is like me <laughs> talking here. Um, it's really interesting that they let Livewire come and then let 
her get access to all the cameras. Like they left purposely left technology around. It's the only technology in the place that we see besides the busted television are these cameras. So they're allowing Livewire to see all this in essence, um, which I think is pretty clear, but I did just want to mention that like they a hundred percent know what she can do and they know that she, they assume that there are certain things she will do. Uh, but anyway, as this is going on, we see that Jada, uh, not Jada, um, that Serena's speaking to Phoebe and saying, you know, how proud she is and that, you know, Phoebe has gained control over her abilities and understanding of her own self and her body and is, you know, coming to realize her potential and they want to celebrate that. And, you know, today is on an auspicious day because of Phoebe and her achievements. Uh, so on the next page, Serena kind of whispers to Phoebe, you know, are you ready? And Phoebe's like, oh, I don't know. And Serena whispers back, um, you know, we are here for you because we believe in you. You can do this. Um, and we see uh, to between panels, it switches colors. And so the red kind of overlay indicates the light bar is watching. And then we see, you know, Phoebe being presented with a piece up jacket with the little logo over the heart. Um, as Jada is bending down to unlock her collar. Um, I love the lettering across the board has been incredible and I don't talk about lettering enough, but like <laughs> when Jada kind of un unlocks the collar, the click click chick is done in like a very digitized uh, font. And it just, the first time I saw it, it just made me smile. Um, the lettering has, it's just really smooth in general, but I'm really glad that the letter is having fun with this as much as I did. Um, but yeah, so Jada is like, I'm very proud of you, you know, and unlocks the collar. So on the next page, we have Phoebe, you know, feeling her neck, you know, we're not sure how long she's uh, been with the collar on her neck, but you know, it's been a while. Um, and Jada, who is in shadow, is like, you know, you can do this. You've worked hard to control your abilities. And Will is kind of handing her her jacket. Um, and then we get a flashback panel, which I really like. One of the things that Kano did was um, to kind of indicate flashbacks is he messed with the borders of the panels. And they look kind of like blurry, almost like the ripped edges of paper, which I thought was really interesting. I'm always really fascinated to see how people indicate differences in perspective and time on the same page, which can be really difficult. And I thought this was a really cool one was to have like very sharp, distinct panel borders for what's happening now. And then these like white fuzzy, like ripped up edges for uh, flashbacks. But so we see a flashback of Peter Stanchek, who is one of the main characters of the entire universe. Uh, he's their like super duper special Syat who just, his powers are honestly, uh, I'm not sure all of his powers, but he has a bunch of them. Uh, but one of the things that he can do besides fly and um, push people's minds. So they do what he wants them to do is he can activate Syats. Now up until here, 
we've only really seen psyots activated through machines and it's like a one in four chance that it'll work. Like a lot of them end up with their heads exploding. Uh, and so, but Peter can activate psyots with his abilities. And so in, in the storyline where Amanda was fighting the government, the, the other storyline that was happening at the same time um, was that Stanchek was running around the, you know, I don't know. He was running around basically activating people who were late in science. Like, do you want your powers? Yes. Boom. And then he'd just leave. And they would kind of just have to deal with the consequences themselves. So we indicate that Phoebe is one of the psyots that he approached and activated against, the, not against their will, but without really uh, telling them anything about what it's about. Um, you know, so we get a panel of him going, are you sure you're ready? Psyot. And she's like, I want to be special because what, you know, kid doesn't want to be special <laughs> but she didn't really understand the consequences of her actions or, or of her acceptance of that uh and then we flash back or to the present rather and she's wearing the jacket and it's adorable um and she's like yeah you know i can do this um but she's still very doubtful she's just like yeah sure uh then we get another flashback panel of her uh in her room at home and the room is on fire. So Phoebe's powers aren't just making fire. Um, and and eventually, by the end of the series, we kind of like are more explicit about it. But she can excite or s completely kind of make inert molecules. So when she excites them, that's heat, right? And then they things sit on fire. And then um, the opposite will be true. But um, she doesn't really know how what her powers are. She just knows that things set on fire. <laughs> um, so anyway, we get a panel of her in her room with everything on fire. And it's the room of like a kid. She's she's supposed to be like 16-ish, just so her being a runaway is more palatable. But yeah, I mean, she's kind of a small 16-year-old. Um, and there's like posters all over her room. It's like some sort of space one. Is that Deep Space Nine or 2001 Space Odyssey? I can't tell. Um, there's a Kill Bill poster. I think it says Kill Kill, though, which is pretty great. There's a giant crucifix. Um, one of the things that we kind of uh, was important to the story is that uh, Phoebe's family is very religious. Like, normal. Like, you know, not... They're not extremists in any way, shape, or form, but they are very devout. I think that's the way to say it. They are devout Christians. Um, and it, by the look of the crucifix, I guess Catholics. Um, just because there's a giant Jesus on it. Uh, and then we flash back to the present, or forward to the present. And Jada in Shadow has... I love I love Kano's shadow work in this. He does this a lot, actually. Um, having the person that is the most important completely in color and detail and then having other people as silhouettes. Uh, I love it. Um, so shout out again to Kano. Uh, he, it's very like Utsuna like if anyone's seen revolutionary girl Utsuna. Um, anyway, I dig it. Uh, so shadow Jada and shadow will have their hands on Phoebe's shoulders and they're like, you got this. And Phoebe takes a deep breath. She's kind of trying to center herself. And then the next page, we get her using her powers for the first time we've seen her. And I think 
important to note, um, and this is implied, but like this is the first time that she has been able to control her powers. So she puts on a beautiful little light display and she's super psyched about it. You know, she's like, I, I did it. <laughs> like, uh, and we get kind of a panel of Will clapping and, and Serena smiling really big. She's very proud. Uh, in the next page, we jump to uh, Livewire in the cyber world. So she is kind of rooting around through the piece up like servers that they have somewhere um, that she's accessed kind of traced back through the cameras. Um, because even if they aren't on site, again, Livewire is insanely powerful. Um, and so she was able to kind of trace the signal to where it's being streamed to, I guess. Um, but we chose to represent that um, by basically she is kind of free-floating through what almost looks like a schematic of Serena's office which I think is really cool. I didn't expect it to be this abstract and I'm, I'm super, super happy with how it turned out. Uh, Kano again, a genius. Um, but so she is kind of free floating around and taking books off the shelves. And this kind of represents her looking at things. That's how they work. Sorry. Not enough tea this morning. Uh, so she takes a book and then She's she's like, this is the proof that I need to show the world that these people are not helping these kids because, it, you know, science in general are kind of viewed with suspicion. But this organization, because they were seen fighting live wire and seem to have government sanction, are accepted. And so she wants to be like, no, this is why I was fighting. This is this thing. Um, and she's opened a book and in it we see one of the kids being forced into a collar um and the kid is like screaming uh but she tries to copy it and the data completely disintegrates so we learn that they've anticipated her poking around and any attempt to transmit or copy the data leads to immediate degradation and she's like huh that's clever um so on the next page, we're still in the cyber world and there's a bunch of, what I didn't mention a second ago was that there's a bunch of security protocols floating around and they kind of look like Pac-Man, which I think is great. Um, but they have not attacked her. We see in the first issue, she goes into their server um, and then is immediately attacked by these things and they become like crazy, like crazy is not the word that I wanted to use there. Large and exaggerated and frightening uh like they look like evil versions of evil or versions of the like droid things from the matrix they're really scary um or maybe like gyarados from pokemon but like a uh, robot version um but so she learned her lesson and uh is masking her presence by making basically copying theirs and making herself seem like one of them. And so she's kind of surrounded by an aura of their color. Um, and it, it, so on the next page, we see them attack the book that she is, you know, messed with the file, the corrupted file. They, they attack it and kind of consume it, but they don't attack her. And so she's like, ah, you know, my, my disguise is working. And so she's continuing to dig around. Um, and so she's kind of trying to logic through this issue. And she's like, 
maybe the sort information can't be copied or transferred, but maybe I can find a way to record what I'm seeing here, um, which is a, a very, I thought it was clever. Um, I don't know what that would entail, but I thought it was clever. Uh, but then we flash to her body in the real world and she's kind of like sitting on, on the bed cross-legged and behind her is a very large shadow looming. Uh, and so then we pop back into cyber world and she's taken another book down and we see that Serena is part of project Omen who were the ones responsible for hunting the Psyots and, you know, causing all that, all that ruckus. Dun, dun, dun. And then on the last page, wow, we already got to the end. The last page, fist flying, live wires jammed, you know, right in the stomach with a foot. She's against the wall. She's on the ground now. She's definitely bleeding again from the mouth. And Jada is standing over her, um, fists up. And again, just the gayest pose, which I love. Uh, and she's like, I'll be a little more clear this time. Uh, referencing kind of live wire poking around and not being welcome. Uh, and yeah, that's it. That's the to be continued. Wow, we got through the whole thing. Uh, so yeah, this one, again, being kind of uh, <laughs> a second in a storyline uh, is... It will make a lot more sense if you read the first issue of the storyline. But honestly, I think that it's written in a way where, like, you can kind of pick up what's going on for the most part. Um, but I do suggest that you pick up uh, both the uh, first trade that collects the first four issues and issue five, uh, just because, you know, I'm really proud of it. Uh, the first trade of the Livewire series is called Fugitive, and it is ten bucks. That's right, 10 bucks for four issues and a bunch of extra content. We did a lot of stuff for the back. Um, and that was a lot of fun. The art team on that was uh, Patricia Martin and Raul Allen. They're really, really incredible. Uh, and But we had the same letter, who's, who's also awesome. And it was, it was a pleasure to work on that series. And then, you know, issue five should be available through your local comic book shop or if you're a digital person through Comixology. Um, but yeah, so uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode and this issue. Uh, feel free to come yell at me online about it. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at definitely Vita. Um, not very clever in that way. Uh, yeah. So uh, and if you enjoyed this stuff, I've also written stuff for uh, Marvel Comics uh, doing a series called The Age of X-Men Prisoner X which centers around Bishop. Uh, I did two issues of Shuri. That's issues six and seven. Seven, I recorded an episode of this very show for. Um, and I also have creator-owned work out. Uh, I wrote a book called The Wilds through Black Mask Studios. Uh, it's post-apocalyptic uh, story centered around queer a queer brown woman uh, where the zombies are beautiful and not gross. Um, I also wrote a, a miniseries called Submerged. It's a contemporary retelling of the Orpheus and Eurydice myth set in the New York City subway system. Um, so if you're into that kind of stuff, please check that out. Uh, what else? Oh, I also am writing, uh, currently writing Xena for Dynamite Comics. So if you like uh, Xena from way back in the day, or if you like uh, badass warrior women, then please check that out. Uh, yeah, that's it. Hope you uh, have a great week. Forever. Dog. 
This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.